Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. As you've already heard, this is the first day of our 21 days of dedication. This is, I think, the, the fourth year maybe that we've done this. Three weeks in January, we intentionally orient ourselves towards the Lord. We dedicate, there's kind of two moves of that. One is surrender. We want to surrender our hopes, our dreams, our plans, our fears. And then invitation, we want to invite God to get involved in all of those areas in 2024. Uh, this, that, th- both of those moves, surrender and invitation, are ongoing. In May, we can't say, well, God, I surrendered in January. Doesn't that cover the year? You know, those are, we, we want to do those things on a regular basis. But there is something about a concentrated, dedicated, intentional period of time at the beginning of the year that seems to be helpful corporately and individually. So we'd invite you to participate. A couple of ways you can do that. One is a 21-day fast. Today's the first day of the fast. If you're not ready, then tomorrow can be the first day of the fast for you. It's totally fine. We do what's called a Daniel fast. It's partial. So this is not no food for three weeks. Um, In Daniel 10, there's a, a, a phrase about no meat and no choice food. So that Daniel fast is considered no meat and no choice food. There's some resources behind me if you need those. Um, if, you're, if you're wondering, like, give me the cliff notes, you can think vegan, so no meat, no dairy, and then no, no sweets. That would be one way of understanding the Daniel fast. I was thinking, if you're already a vegan, I really don't know. Maybe no quinoa. I don't know what it would be for you. On a, I don't, I, I don't even know how to begin to understand that. So if you're already on a restricted diet, that some of you don't need to fast. And seriously, you don't. Either for medical reasons you don't need to or you struggle with disordered eating, fasting would not be good for you, then please don't. But the rest of you, we'd encourage you to get involved. If you've never fasted before, don't try to be a hero. Just take a step. And if you need some help, you can reach out to us. Matt or Vanessa, Vanessa was doing the announcements. Many of you know Matt, either Matt or Vanessa at stonebridgemarietta.org and they'll be happy to help you um, navigate uh, the fast. We'll have worship nights for the next three weeks on Wednesday, seven to eight. We'll have childcare up through fifth grade, but your kids are welcome to come and be a part. We'll end hard stop at eight so everybody can get home and we'll be walking through those dynamics of surrender. And uh, we'll also have the next three weeks, we're gonna have a, a bit of a theme that runs through the messages, and this is something we'll circle back to over the course of the year. Last year, we looked at Jesus as our shepherd. Psalm 23 was our foundational passage. This week, we're, or this year, we're gonna talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives, and that's key, daily life. In John 16, uh, last night of his life, Jesus says to the disciples, it's for your good that I leave. Like, try to think about that. How could it ever be good for Jesus to leave, because if I go, then I'll send you the helper, or your Bible may say the advocate or the comforter. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And so we want to unpack what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life on a daily basis. If, if he's such a good gift from the Father and the Son, that Jesus, Jesus can say it's better for us that he's ascended to heaven because he's sent us the Spirit. We wanna, we wanna know what, it's, what, what that means on a practical Basis. So the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different images of the Holy Spirit. Today, water. The Holy Spirit is described as water. And what does that metaphor mean? Just a very, very brief bit of background. We serve a 
Trinitarian God. The Trinity is a mystery. It's outside our rational categories. The Trinity is is one God. We're monotheists. We believe there's one God, but that one God exists eternally in three co-equal persons. And that's the mystery for us. Things are one or they're three, but Trinity is one and three. And that, again, that's outside of our rational categories. Those three persons are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know that. And they're co-equal. They're all equally God. They have the same attributes and the same character, but different roles. We may say the Father is a creator and a provider, and he sends the Son and sends the Holy Spirit. The Son, we would say, is a Savior and a Redeemer, among other things. He is sent by the Father and sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a guide, a comforter, an advocate, among other things. And he is sent by both the Father and the Son. There's that that diagram there. It's called the Trinity Shield, which is kind of a succinct way of trying to gather those data points together. And historically, uh, a picture that people have used to help it's not understand, but begin to grasp the Trinity is just, it's a three leaf clover. So that's, that's just background for us. Some people come from different places when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He's a he, he's not an it, he's not a force. This isn't Star Wars. He is a person and he is co-equal to God. He's just as much God as father and son. And so we'll be focusing on how he wants to work in our life on a daily basis. So a couple of passages in John that you may be familiar with. John 4, starting in verse four. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus' disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is chapter seven, just about three verses in chapter seven, starting in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So my question, super simple, do you need to be refreshed this morning? Do you need to be refreshed? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you parched? That's the question. We'll talk about that, but that's it. Do you need to be refreshed? Spiritually, do you need to be refreshed physically? Do you need to be refreshed in relationships with others? Do you need to be refreshed emotionally? One of those guys kind of in the desert crawling to the oasis. Is that you this morning? Jesus offers you living water. We won't break these passages down in too much depth this morning. We don't have time, but we're gonna let chapter four 
Help us understand chapter seven and chapter seven. Help us understand chapter four and look for commonalities there. And one of the commonalities is Jesus is issuing an invitation to someone who we may not think that they would receive that invitation. We would on this side of the cross, but people who are with Jesus during his day, the invitation that he gives would have seemed a bit odd. So Jews and Samaritans, they didn't intermingle. You, John tells us that uh, Samaritans heritage, they're, they're part Jew, part Gentile, so they were considered unclean. So where Jesus lived up and, and, and did ministry up around the Sea of Galilee, and he's traveling to Jerusalem, most Jews would go around Samaria because they didn't want to go through it because it would make them unclean. We've talked about that before. Uncleanness was considered contagious. Jesus walks straight through it. He stops about halfway. He stops at a well. It's half a mile or a mile outside of a town. And there's a woman there. It's noon. It's the heat of the day. And she's there drawing water, which was a pretty um, labor-intensive task. So you had a well. This woman would have had a rope and a leather bucket and a pitcher. And she would have tied the rope to that leather bucket, dropped it into the well, hauled up water, dumped it in the pitcher and done that until the pitcher was full and then taken that water home and then done the same thing again the next day. Unusual for a man to talk to a woman. Men didn't talk to women in public, particularly those they were not related to. Certainly unusual for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan. Again, they're considered unclean. Jews would look down on Samaritans and Samaritans didn't, didn't have a whole lot of sympathy for Jews either. But this woman is also, she, the, the, his interaction with her is unusual because of her background. If we kept reading, we would see that she's been married and divorced five times and she's currently living with her boyfriend. And that's, that's all, that's bad on lots of levels. And the fact that Jesus is talking to her when his disciples come back, they're shocked. They can't believe that he's having a conversation with this Woman, she's, a, she's an outcast in addition to her being a, a Samaritan. She's also an outcast from her own people. She's coming to get water at noon. Most women would go in the morning. That kind of chore was a communal, social engagement. And she's choosing to come at noon. And you can see it a couple of ways. So women couldn't file for divorce. Men did. And so has she been rejected five times? Has she married five guys and five guys have divorced her and is she isolating herself? Remember, this is, this is a town. This is not a mega metropolis. Hundreds of people, maybe thousands, probably hundreds. Everybody knows everybody. If you've ever been in a small town, you know how that is. She's been rejected potentially by five different men. And so she's coming to draw water when nobody else is there. Even though it's in the hottest part of the day, she don't want to be around anybody. She's isolating herself. You can imagine potentially the level of shame she might have as someone who's been publicly rejected so many times. A woman needed to be attached to a man for security. And it looks like you could say, is she that desperate that she's willing to live with this guy, even without the commitment and security that a marriage would provide? And she may say, well, marriage hadn't provided me much because I've gotten divorced five times. You could look at her that way. You could also look at her a different way. Women couldn't file for divorce, but they could certainly provoke their husbands to divorce them. You've had roommates before. You know how that is. And so that, is that her? Has she been chewing up men and spitting them out? And she's already gone through five and now she's flaunting convention and morality and living with this person who's her boyfriend. And so she's been ostracized by the other women in her community. We, we don't know. Some people think she's been widowed five times. I would say, no way. 
that would make her the most tragic figure in history. I don't think she's been widowed five times, but okay. However we want to see her, whether it's she's the victim and she's filled with shame or she's this pretty manipulative and devious woman who's, again, just kind of burning through men or, or whether she's a tragic figure who's been widowed multiple times. She's at this well by herself and she's interacting with Jesus and that's unusual. And then in chapter seven, it's a very different group of people. That's the Festival of Tabernacles, one of three major religious festivals where Jews would gather in Jerusalem and worship for this, in this case, eight days. So a week plus a day. Uh, the Festival of Tabernacles was looking back to God's provision for the Jews during their 40 years in the wilderness. And these guys who are there, we would say, well, like they're, they're in. They're Jews, so they're God's people. And they're not just God's people. They're, they're doing what God asked them to do, coming to Jerusalem to worship during this week, this festival. They're obedient, observant Jews. And what's interesting is that Jesus gives the same, in, the same invitation to both of those groups. If we were drawing a continuum, this Samaritan woman, we would probably put way over here, or at least people in Jesus's day would. She's way away from God, far. And then these uh, Jews who are at the festival, festival of tabernacles are really close to him. And Jesus gives the same invitation to both. To both of them, he says, if y'all are thirsty... So he, he, he gives them this same label and then he makes the same offer. I've got water for you. And it's a special kind of water. He calls it living water. Why does he do that? Why water? Water's on the brain for both of these folks. The Samaritan woman's at a well and it's a place that she has to go every day. And again, in this decently arduous task of drawing water, filling up a pitcher and, and walking it back to her house. She does that every day. And what she hears is very literal. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gonna make it so you don't have to do this anymore. That's what she hears. That's not what he means, but that's what she, she's hearing him on the literal physical level. Water's on her brain because they're at a well. These Jews, one of the features of the festival of tabernacles was called the water drawing Ceremony. So there's a pool, it's called the Pool of Siloam. It was fed by a spring and it, it, it provided the water for Jerusalem. And so once a, once a day for the first six days of this festival, the priests would go to the pool, they would get a pitcher of water, take it back to the temple and dump it out on the altar. And that ceremony, it's kind of triggering all kinds of things in people's minds. Way back, they're remembering the water from the rock, if you remember that story. In um, Exodus and Numbers, that the, that the the Israelites are in the desert. There's not water. They're starting to grumble at Moses, and God says, "Strike the rock with your staff, and water comes out of it." And it does. They're thinking right now, this is a dry time. Festival of Tabernacles, end of September, beginning of October, and that's the dry season. We could use some rain. And then they're looking forward. When the kingdom of God will be established, one of the pictures is a river of living water flowing from the temple. That's Ezekiel 47. So this water drawing ceremony all is kind of triggering all of those associations, past, present, and future. On the seventh day, that, that going and getting water is done seven times. 
And then on the eighth day, it's not done at all. And that's the day Jesus stands up and makes this invitation. So both the Samaritan woman and the festival goers, they have water on the brain and Jesus takes advantage of that to draw attention to their spiritual condition. When we get thirsty, that's an indication that we need water. And you know that you you can't live without it. You can go somewhere three, four, five days without water, much longer without food than you can without water. And thirst is the biological trigger for us. I need to drink something. If you ignore your thirst, you're in trouble. You're gonna die. If we didn't have that biological trigger, if we didn't know when we needed water, we would die. Thirst indicates a need, a lack, and it's for something essential. Water, it's very easy to make the spiritual connection there. He's saying to this woman, are you, are you thirsty? And again, we can look at her and we can think of all kinds of reasons and rationales why she would be. Whether she's someone who's been widowed five times and is, has a tragic life, whether she's someone who's been rejected five times and is living with shame, whether she's someone who's run five men off and is living in pretty blatant sin, we can look at her and say, yes. These religious Jews, observant Jews. And this may be a category many of you can identify with. You wonder at what point they just, they got tired. Come to Jerusalem three times a year for a week. Make two sacrifices every day. Make another sacrifice on the Sabbath. Do something else on the new moon. All of these different rituals and practices to stay connected, to stay in right relationship? At what point do you get tired? And and that may be some of you today. Your weariness may be from doing good things, not necessarily from being worn out from difficulty or pain, but you've been running a good race and you're just tired. And what Jesus says to both those groups and to everyone here is, well, are you thirsty? Is there a spiritual need? Do you have a need? And I've got living water for you. Think about that if you're the woman. What you're hearing is living water literally means water that moves. So there's living water, which Jesus in in John 4 talks about a spring as opposed to a well. In John 7, we know this living water is the Holy Spirit. So that's the identification we're gonna make. So a spring versus a well, how is the Holy Spirit like a spring for us? And then this group of Jews, the festival goers, he uses a different picture of moving water. It's a river. It's a river versus a pool. And that pool is fed by a spring. It's called the Gihon Spring, G-I-H-O-N. And it's an intermittent spring. So that spring runs three to five times in the winter per day, three to five times per day in the winter, twice a day in the summer and once in the fall. So this is the fall. These guys are getting water from this pool of Siloam and it's fed once a day from this spring. And Jesus is saying that what I wanna give you is a river. So to this woman, he's saying, you've got a well, I'm giving you a spring. This may sound a bit confusing. And to these people, he's saying, you've got a pool and I wanna give you a river. So what do those images say to us about the daily work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're just gonna smash them together. Again, the overarching question is, do you need to be refreshed this morning? Are you thirsty? Here's 
what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to refresh us. And again, using both of those pictures, a spring of living water or rivers of living water that are flowing from within us. When you think about this woman who's having to walk either a half a mile or a mile every day, and for her, it's in the heat of the day in order to draw water and take it home. What kind of good news is it for her to hear? Hey, the, the water I'm gonna give you, it's, it's in, the source is internal. It's no longer external to you. And you can think about for her, every day when she does this water, she's reminded of her place in the community or lack of place in the community. So you can see why she would grab onto that really quickly. And Jesus says about this water, if you drink from it, you're never gonna be thirsty. Again, think about whatever, how, for whatever reason, she's been married and, 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 and five times, and I think divorced, not widowed, five times, and now she's living with someone who's not her husband. Whatever's driving all of that, whatever that deep need is, Jesus says, I've got some water that can, that can quench that thirst. This water that you're drawing from the well, you're gonna be thirsty again. I've got something, you'll drink from it, you'll never thirst again. It'll be like a spring within you welling up to eternal life, your greatest need. So what about you? Do you need to be refreshed? Are you thirsty? To the festival goers, this, he says, this water that I offer you, this living water, this water that moves, it'll be like a river that flows from within you. So this water, it's not just for us. It's for others. It's the, this, when I think of the spring, I'm thinking of it internally. It's what he's offering to this woman. This water will meet your greatest needs. It's gonna satisfy you at your deepest places. And to these guys at the festival, he's reminding them, this, this water, it's not just for you. It's, it's a river that flows through you. It's that Ezekiel 47 picture. You can go back and read that if you want. We don't have time to look at it today. But the short version is there's a temp, the temple and from the temple, a, 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 a river of living water flows and it's a supernatural river because it gets deeper every 500 yards without any tributaries feeding into it. That doesn't happen. And it's a picture of the, the life of God through the spirit when his kingdom is established. In 1 Corinthians, we're told we collectively are the temple of God and individually each one of us is a temple of God. So when you read Ezekiel 47, don't think about a building in Jerusalem. Think about God's people, us corporately and think about yourself individually, this river flowing through you. Paul talks multiple times in his letters about being refreshed by other people. Sitting selfish, we're not just refreshed for ourselves, we're refreshed so we can refresh others. We receive life so we can extend life to others. We're not the source of life, he is. But we can be a channel of that life to others. Thinking again about this daily work of the Holy Spirit, he refreshes, he brings life. He satisfies those deepest of needs. Think about a river that's constantly moving versus a pool that's fed once or twice or three times a day. There's a constant, there's a, that, that constant vitality of the river speaks to the, who the Holy Spirit is. Just the, him living within us, that's something that we totally take for granted. Step back and think about the reality that the God that made everything that you see and don't see lives within you. Nobody else is selling that. 
just us. Nobody else is doing, is saying that. The God of the universe takes up residence in his people. We've heard that so many times, it's trite. The, we, we don't live in light of that reality. The all-powerful one, the all-knowing one, the all-loving one, the all-good one, the holy one, the righteous one, the just one, the gracious one, the merciful one, he lives within us, within you, and within me. That's what he's saying to this woman. The source of life, this source of water, it's not external to you anymore, it's internal. Jeremiah 2, it's a devastating chapter. God says something like this. Find me another nation that's swapping gods. In that time, each nation had their own God. And God says to his people, find me anybody else who's trading. But my people are trading. In verse, I think it's 13 or maybe it's 15. He says, y'all are trading me, the spring of living water, for cisterns that you've dug on your own. A cistern just like a pit that collects water. Think about the difference between those two things. A spring of living water or a pit that collects runoff. There's always a temptation for us. We've got a drink. And so there's always a temptation for us to dig our own cisterns and drink whatever flows into it. And the invitation this morning is, is to remember the spring of living water lives within you. Rivers of living water can flow through you to others. Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, this is technical, but it's helpful. The tense of that verb is present. And a present tense Greek verb means, implies continual action. So it's be being filled or continually or constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to keep drinking. We're not spiritual camels. The, the spring is constantly running. The river is constantly flowing. Are we drinking are we drinking? What does that look like? That looks like believing. Jesus says that in John 6. To drink is to believe in him, to trust in him. It looks like surrendering to him. It looks like acknowledging the places where we are dry and weary and asking him to quench that thirst, to refresh us and to renew us. Recognize the temptation to dig your own cistern. And realize what you would be trading by doing that. A spring of living water. The spring of living water. So we're going to take a few minutes and pray. Bo's going to come back. We'll have ministry teams up here. And again, you, you can close your eyes. The invitation is super simple. You can forget everything I said. Just how about this question? Do you need to be refreshed this morning? And that's not a criticism. So here's the reality. We all need to be refreshed all the time. That's just, think about how often you get thirsty during the day. And that doesn't, when you get thirsty, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. 
There's nothing wrong with you. You're not missing out on anything. And the same thing is true spiritually. It can actually be a dangerous thing if we don't feel or don't recognize our thirst. It may mean that we're drinking out of a bad cistern. So I'm just gonna pray a couple of things. I don't want any of you to feel guilty, but let's just listen to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would search us and know us, show us our own hearts. I pray that you would show each one of us, is there a place where rather than drinking from the spring of life, we've dug our own cistern and we're just drinking the runoff. You can think about that woman potentially chasing every one of those guys, trying to get a need met. Or you can think about those festival goers potentially going through, dotting every I and crossing every T, walking the tightrope in their mind of obedience to the Lord. You need to drink from the spring of living water this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us the places in our own hearts where we're dry, where we're weary, where we need to be refreshed. And I pray that you would do that. You would do that work of renewing and refreshing and restoring. I pray for people who are physically worn out. People who struggle with chronic pain. And every day is a slog. Would you refresh them this morning? I pray for people who are relationally exhausted. So tired of the tension and the difficulty. God, would you refresh them? For people who are emotionally spent and drained, would you fill them this morning? I pray that everybody in the room, kids and students and adults, I pray that we would all drink deeply of your living water today. Not not just for us. We wanna see these rivers flowing through us as well, but for right now in these moments, would you renew your people, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. Thank you.